Welcome back to the Beast Mamas podcast. Today, we'd like to welcome Victoria Moran. Victoria, thank you for joining Jackie and I this morning. It's my pleasure. A Whole Foods vegan of over three decades and listed by Veg News among the top 10 living vegetarian authors. Victoria Moran has written books including Creating a Charmed Life, The Love Power Diet, and Main Street Vegan. Featured twice on Oprah and voted Peter's Sexiest Vegan Over 50 in 2016. The founder and director of Main Street Vegan Academy, training and certifying vegan lifestyle coaches, educators, and entrepreneurs. Victoria was lead producer of A Prayer for Compassion, the 2019 documentary looking at spirituality and food choices. She is also a co-founder of the Compassion Consortium, an interfaith, interspecies center for people who care about animals. What a beautiful introduction. Welcome, Victoria, to the Beast Mamas podcast. Oh, thank you, Farah, and hi, Jackie. I already knew Jackie and am just meeting you right now, so what a pleasure. Oh, wonderful. Jackie has spoken about you for so many years, and I am honored and humbled to have you as a guest in the Beast Mamas podcast. That's very kind. It goes both ways. Oh, thank you. How was your weekend? <laughs> uh, how was my weekend? Let's see. That was uh, that was recently. Uh, yeah, big weekend. I spoke yesterday morning at the um, New York Vegetarian Food Festival that was having its 10th anniversary. You know, it's hard to believe it. Sometimes like when you see other people's kids and they were in a stroller and now they're in college. Uh, and that was a little bit the way it was to go there and remember that I spoke there 10 years ago. And wow. so much was happening at that time for me because the book Main Street Vegan, which has pretty much given me the life that I have now, was published uh, at that time, 2012. Main Street Vegan Academy started. And the Main Street Vegan podcast that I did for 10 years started at that time as well. Jackie, I just want to welcome you. Thank you so much, Farah. And it's so lovely to be here in the company of two women I admire so much. Victoria, how has this global health crisis affected you and your family? You know, everybody has their, their story. And, and some people, of course, have stories that are, are tragic and um, I do not have one of those, uh, gratefully. It, it was just an odd kind of time. I think one of the strangest times I've ever been through, just before the pandemic, my husband was in an accident. He actually fell onto the subway tracks and was quite oh, no. seriously injured. And he was in the hospital for just over three weeks. And it was very interesting because at first I would visit him that I'd travel on the subway, which I always do. And then they started saying, maybe if you don't have to, you shouldn't go in the subway. So I started taking taxis. And then I started taking taxis and rolling the windows down. <laughs> and yeah. by the time he got out of the hospital and came home, the pandemic was full blown. So he had to have wires taken off his jaws because they'd been wired together after his jaws were reconstructed. But 
the day that this was supposed to happen was in the midst of the complete lockdown. Nobody could go anywhere. Mm -hmm. So we couldn't go back to the hospital to have the plastic surgeon do what he was supposed to do. And we mm -hmm. learned that a neighbor of ours from down the hall is a physician's assistant who had assisted on jaw surgeries. And she said, I think I can do this. I think I can take those wires out. So I called the plastic surgeon and he just burst out laughing. And he said, do you know what an absurd question that would be in any ordinary circumstance? <laughs> but this is not an ordinary circumstance. Yeah. So go for it. So I think the first time that I really realized, wow, this is odd, was when there was a surgical procedure happening in our living room with our neighbor. Uh, and then I also had a really big birthday very early in the pandemic. I turned 70 and wow. it was like, okay, this is okay. You know, I can't go anywhere. But when I went to walk the dog, the uh, garage attendant was playing salsa music. So I danced salsa and figured, okay, this is my birthday celebration. Yeah. And then, you know, we just stayed in for that year. My dog just thought you guys finally get it. You're supposed <laughs> to stay here with me all the time. Finally, yeah. you, you get that. But then a year passed and I had my second COVID birthday. Yeah. And I think that was when it really hit me. This is long. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? This is, is not your, your regular life. But then it started to lift and then they shut us back down again. And it's just been all this acceptance. And I have a 12-step background, so the idea that acceptance is the answer to all of my problems, I can't change anything until I accept it first. So I think for me, the biggest lesson was acceptance, and then a really interesting gift was how easy it is to get back into, quote, normal life. Mm -hmm. You know, so mm -hmm. often we were like, how are we ever going to feel comfortable at a restaurant or ever go to any kind of event where you're sitting next to another human? It was real easy. <laughs> yeah. Because we're social creatures. We're supposed to be together. Yes. So I'm very grateful that, you know, you had your family and your husband. Really sorry to hear about your husband's accident. How How is he doing now? He is actually doing fine. And what's so interesting to me is just how the universe seems to manage timing. Because prior to his accident, probably six months prior, he had made the giant announcement that he was going to go back to school and study theology. And I said, but I thought you were an atheist. And he's like, well, <laughs> not exactly anymore. So he wanted to study how the world's religions look at non-human beings and was mm -hmm. six months into the first year of this two years uh, master's program when the accident happened and it looked as if he couldn't go back to school but lo and behold the pandemic happened they put it on zoom <laughs> so he was able to to finish and then do his his second year and get his ordination and now with uh, two of his colleagues from from one spirit we have been running the compassion consortium for oh. a year and two months I see the connection now. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I love that you and your husband work together. That's a blessing. You know, it is. And I am so grateful that he has become such an ethical vegan 
over the mm-hmm. years because yeah. when I met him back in 1995 in my hometown of Kansas City where we were both living I had been widowed my first husband died young so for nine years it had just been my daughter and me and I decided you know what you've always dated these spiritual vegetarians and you know sometimes they're just a little bit delicate so Mm -hmm. since you are now just date a regular person. And so um, we we met through an ad, which was just the precursor of internet dating. And he was a regular guy. I always joke with people. I say, you know, he had a real job with health insurance. And two weeks after we met, he went vegetarian. The vegan thing was just too much for him. He didn't understand that. But But he did go vegetarian. And then you know, we got married, we'd been married for a few years. And then he read the manuscript of Main Street Vegan, it wasn't even a book yet, he just just read it on the computer. Mm -hmm. And he called me from an Amtrak train somewhere in the Midwest, he'd been traveling. And he said, Okay, now I get it. Now I'm a vegan. And he has gone Mm. on with that in a philosophic way to really look at how we regard non-human beings and mm-hmm. how they're treated and I'm so proud of him and just to anybody listening who whatever it is you've got going on in life doesn't have to be vegan but just something that you believe in and you feel like your partner just can't get it or can't understand it you know sometimes it takes some time but mm-hmm. I feel that he's just you know jumped in with both feet he probably wouldn't have known about this if it hadn't been for me but now there are so many ways that I look up to him in this area. So it's cool. I've been working with my husband at home. We both run our company from home. We, we both homeschool our children and it is an absolute blessing. It's interesting and a lot of people during the pandemic, you know, just found that having their children at home was so difficult. And I think that a lot of that was what was expected by the schools and the kids were supposed to be staring at computer screens all day. But I also homeschooled my daughter all the way through. And it was the biggest adventure. And and we started, it would have been, let's see, she was born in 1983. So we would have started homeschooling in 1988. So, you know, we, it was early. It was so magical and it enabled us to travel and for her to meet people and see things that she never would have seen had she been in a classroom. And people would always say, well, you know, how's she going to hold down a job and things mm-hmm. like that. I remember once we had, <laughs> socialized. Yes. Yeah. And we mm-hmm. had friends over for, for dinner and, and this one man uh, said to her, well, I guess you don't get a report card. And another friend said, no, she gets boarding passes. <laughs> and <laughs> so the long and short of it is, yeah. she's now in her 30s, lifelong vegan, married, and she is a stunt performer and aerialist. And oh, her husband are both in, and she and her husband are both in the same show now at one of the Dollywood franchises in, in mm-hmm. Tennessee. 
And it's looking like they may go from there to uh, the tour they were on before the pandemic stadium show for kids called Jurassic World Live. So, oh, wow. you know, she's living her dream and we prepped for that. We didn't know we yeah. were prepping for that. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> we true. Were prepping for living the dream. Absolutely. I think when my son was about six months, I, I realized that he was, he became very frustrated. He was trying to communicate, but I couldn't understand. And as a scientist, I did some research and I found out that sign language is, is key for kids. And I taught him sign language. Wow. And within a month, he had it. We were signing together as a family and his, his whole spirit and energy changed. And I told my husband, I said, I said we're going to have to homeschool. And we call it world school where you can experience life. And, and that's school to me. And because my family was all around, around the world, I really wanted to spend time with my mom in the Caribbean, my sisters back in England. And so I really felt it was more important for us to travel and taking him out of school every month for a month would not be sustainable. And then he be, became an actor at five. And so it really, it is a beautiful experience where the world becomes your classroom and you get to have an adventure almost every other week. Absolutely. And, and we had the exact same philosophy. There, there was a, a unschooling was what they were mm -hmm. calling it back then. There was a gentleman named John Holt who, who wrote a lot of books about learning from life. And it yeah. really takes a leap of faith. And, you know, certainly some things, you know, math, you need some textbooks and that. But one of the things we also did was was get mentors. So mm -hmm. um, we got mentors for science and, and for art. And to really to learn from somebody who is passionate about yeah. a topic. And many mm -hmm. teachers are passionate, too, of course. But but to really get with somebody out there in the real world mm -hmm. who is doing this thing every day. It's so thrilling. And then there are, you know, very active homeschool groups. And, yeah. you know, you learn about a lot of people because a lot of people homeschool for the opposite reason than we did. They do it because they're very conservative and they want their children to have a more protected kind of environment. Mm -hmm. And so she got to know a lot of these folks. And, yeah. you know, now that we're in this time when supposedly nobody can talk to each other in this yeah. country. You know, yeah. I feel so grateful that I've raised a daughter who has her own views, but knows how to talk to people who have other views. And the respect that they have for other people from different cultures is beautiful as well. It is. It, it's, yeah. it's really something. And even, you know, if your kids are in school, it doesn't mean you lose out on all that because mm -mm. you've got, you know, weekends and summers and evenings this enrichment I mean if you're not the kid isn't in a kind of school where they're you know doing homework and, until late hours every night which is new you know yeah. I we have a little boy down down the hall who's I think he's six and his mom was talking about you know he has two hours of homework it's like wow. I realize I'm from an earlier generation but we didn't start homework until fifth grade and this was in public schools because there mm -hmm. was a certain respect for childhood that we've lost. Mm -hmm. If you mm -hmm. think about children wear adult clothing, children mm -hmm. are supposed to like be these little adults. And that doesn't mean that I don't think they should do real things in the world. Like you've talked about your son as an actor at five. My daughter started acting at, at 10. And, yeah. you know, by the time she was 16, 
she had this amazing acting job at a, a science yeah. museum. She was doing four shows a day. She was in a wow. union. She had health insurance. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so it's very cool. But they still, they're still children. They're children. They're, they're yeah. still just. But to just be able to be close enough to them that you can sense where they are and honor yeah. that, it's so special. It really is. It's a gift. Like you mentioned, my son being an actor at five, you know, at three, he, he told me he was born to be an actor. Wow. And, and I said, excuse me? He said, yeah, that's what I came here to do. And the first audition that he auditioned for, he got, and he's been on the Oprah Winfrey Network on one of Oprah's top TV shows, Queen Sugar, as a lead for the past. This is your seventh season. This is your last season. So he's been on this thing for seven seasons. That's so and wonderful. It really is. And I tell you, I look at him and I admire his discipline, his dedication, his focus, because he he lights up. And I tell I tell all parents that like every ch child is born to be a superstar. Every child. You just have to see what that child needs. You nurture that as a parent. And then you just look at them and you see them blossom. Jackie can tell you from her own two children how she's nurtured that that place for them in their heart. And now, you know, she looks at them and she admires the people that they've become. And all we have to do for children is to to build environments that are conducive for learning and their own evolutional growth. From your mouth to God's ears, I couldn't agree more. Yes, absolutely. Victoria, you've really been a pioneer in so many areas and that are now becoming very popular. I believe the number of vegan families is increasing exponentially. And you were raising a vegan daughter when this was also uncommon. You already explained a little bit about what it was like to homeschool Adair, but uh, what was it like raising her as a vegan? And what did you learn that might be helpful to vegan parents and kids today? Sure. Well, it was so weird then that we didn't get a lot of flack, you know, it was almost like <laughs> if you tell people you're going to go do some dangerous sport, they might try to talk you out of it. But if you tell them that you're going to go to Mars with Elon Musk, they'll just say, okay, because it's just, it's too out there to even argue with. And that was how veganism I think was at, at that time. So speaking of the socializing, um, she had some vegetarian friends who who honored the fact that she was vegan and and even some omnivorous friends who honored the fact that she was vegan because again with homeschooling you know we kind of handpicked uh, the friends and everybody was very understanding of that and parents are understanding of other children because we want our kids to be socialized and so you know if another kid is allergic to something or has to leave at a certain time to go to piano lessons. You know, parents are good with that. And, and that was what we found. The main thing I would say about raising a vegan child, you know, we worry about nutrition and that's something you can easily learn. You know, they, they need B12, they need iron when they're little, especially they need um, vitamin D, a source of vitamin D, omega-3 fatty acids and, and a varied diet. And sometimes they get picky. But if you've fed them only whole foods, chances are even a very narrow variety of foods is going to be incredible.
incredibly nutritious. I remember at one point I was worried about my daughter because she would only eat five things. And so I went to a nutritionist and I gave her the list of five things, which were um, tofu, sweet potatoes, dulse, which is a seaweed, <laughs> and um, it's some fruit. I think it might have been mangoes. It was something a little bit hard to get in, in Kansas City. And one other thing. And the nutritionist like put the put it through a computer program. She said, this is really amazing. But you have given me a list that comprises a very balanced diet as long as you're using tofu that's cultured with calcium instead of magnesium so that, that she gets enough calcium. She also said, don't worry about it so much and she'll start eating more foods, which of course happened. And then there's the socialization thing. And, you know, kids are cool. Kids will yeah. tell you, you know, uh, I, I go to Hebrew school or uh, I live part-time with my mom and part-time with my dad. I mean, for kids, it's like, this is my life. These are the parameters mm -hmm. or I'm vegan. And, and so the socialization isn't really a problem that people think it is. The mm -hmm. problem, as I see it, or the potential problem is that we're giving these children information, which is the absolute truth, but it's very heavy information. Even if we don't go into detail about what goes on in factory farms, what goes on in a slaughterhouse, just mm. the fact that these children know that their friends, their animal friends that are in the storybooks that they've maybe visited at a, a farm sanctuary or a petting zoo, these friends people eat them and that's very heavy information i think most of us remember as children when we were privy to this information and then told we had to eat the animals anyway that was really tough these vegan kids know that this goes on and then they know that a lot of people that they love and admire partake in that so mm -hmm. teachers, grandparents, clergy, people that we say, you know, do what grandma tells you, pay attention to father so-and-so, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then they find out these good people are eating animals. That's tough for a little mind to process. And so mm -hmm. I think we have to really be with, there and the, with them. And the best thing we can do is give them a really stable life otherwise. And sometimes that doesn't happen. I mean, in, in our case, my, my first husband died. And so, you know, that was a, a huge destabilizing event in my daughter's mm -hmm. life. And, you know, I wasn't at my best when that happened. And I wish I could go back and redo some of those things. But still, to just know that you're you're raising a child to be a minority by choice by parental mm -hmm. choice at, at that age and just you know really pay attention to what that means and uh, just give your kids some extra good stuff meaning oh. love and attention and time i believe it's been about four or five years since we've been being really plant-based and i say we we're clean eaters and people look at me and, and they wonder what that means. My son, Ethan, he wanted to stop eating animals. And we really didn't eat a lot of meat. We weren't given dairy. 
and he just he wanted to try it out and we were like sure no problem and we tried it and we've been you know vegan ever since my daughter has never had meat she's five and um she's not she's not interested in in having meat she she's actually turned off by the fact of of eating animals and what you said was so beautiful because at that very tender age they're trying to understand the the animals that they love and care about that brings them so much joy eating them really they can't fathom or understand why they would do it and because it's so ingrained in the culture it's it's something that's so it's challenging to to step away from i think that's why people would go to to being vegetarian and then taking the the leap of being vegan seems so far fetched and if we only just addressed it on a simple basis of these are animals like we are animals and and i i always bring the scientific point is even eating plants you know you plants you know you have these sensors and these nerves in plants that they they feel when they've been uprooted and so it's really coming from a state and a point of being grateful that that some life is given up life so that you can continue your own life and coming from a place of gratitude is so important because other people choose to eat meat or plants but know that you're eating living things whether they're plants or animals and and you have a generation of very compassionate loving children and and they they really care about the the planet and the environment and as an environmental scientist it's it's beautiful to see this generation coming up because we've destroyed so much of what we've been given and we've left them with such a calamity and now they're trying to clean up all the mess i just think we need to do all we can to help absolutely so beautiful what both of you are discussing raising children now i remember when my older son uh, was about 5 and we were at grandparents house for thanksgiving and my you know in-laws were very traditional people so obviously there was the thanksgiving turkey and my son just sat for a second and his face fell and he said i feel so sorry and sad for this turkey and of course they looked at me because they figured oh okay it's probably coming from her <laughs> but honestly it really was something that just sprang up instinctively intuitively in him so it doesn't surprise me to hear that the children take to it they don't question it that it feels right and the support that they need it becomes part of a whole lifestyle like it's very clear that being vegan is much more than a diet to both of you and I'm wondering Victoria what other practices you mentioned the consortium of course but um, prior to that what were some other practices that you were involved with that aligned with your vegan lifestyle and supported you and Adair your daughter um early on what really pushed me over to becoming vegetarian was an interest in yoga, which I know you shared, Jackie. Are you a yoga person, Farah? I am. Cool. So I had wanted to be vegetarian as a little girl, and I tried when I was 13 and didn't really know what I was doing and ultimately got really hungry and <laughs> went back. But I always had that <laughs> love for animals and knew I didn't want to eat them. But when I was 17, I discovered yoga. And this was back when you had to discover it. 
there were three books in the Kansas City, Missouri Public Library, and I read them over and over again. And one thing that they all three said was that if you're going to be serious about yoga, you have to stop eating animals. So I had moved to London and, and found a yoga teacher there. And that was where that whole thing started. So there's always like for me, this kind of spiritual underpinning of, of whatever I do. And right now, for instance, I'm, I'm doing the medical medium protocols. Have you guys gotten into that at all? Do you guys know about Anthony I, William, the medical I, medium? I've heard I did. and read some of his work. I have well, not. He, uh, just for your listeners who, who are unfamiliar, when this man was a four-year-old child, he started hearing a voice that was called Spirit of Compassion. And the voice said to him, tonight at dinner, you need to let the family know that your grandma needs to see a doctor because she has lung cancer. Now, you guys have both had kids. You know that four-year-olds don't have lung cancer as part of their vocabulary. And that night, he told people this. Well, sure enough, they took her to the doctor, and she did indeed have lung cancer. Ever since then, he has been hearing this voice and getting this guidance and an incredible amount of medical information. Now, I know that a lot of people would think, oh, that's really out there. And I know that it is. But some things that seem out there are also something that resonates with certain people. And, and his teachings really resonate with me. So I'm doing that right now, which means that uh, you mentioned eating really clean, Farah. And so even though I feel like I've, you know, eaten a really healthy, uh, whole vegan diet for a really long time, I mean, doing what I'm doing now, it's like super clean and really mm -hmm. fun. It's kind of like a hobby. So I, I drink um, lemon water in the morning, 16 ounces. Mm -hmm. And so that's 16 ounces of water and a half the juice of half a lemon. And then 20 minutes later, I make celery juice, just plain celery juice by itself. He has a whole book, uh, Anthony William, on, on celery juice, because supposedly it's a, an herb that is a great healer. And that a lot of these modern illnesses and these illnesses that medical science just doesn't know what to do with, or they just lump them under autoimmune because they don't know really what else is going on, he says, come either from underlying viruses mm -hmm. or radiation or DDT, um, or there's one other thing, he calls them the unforgiving four. Oh, I know, toxic heavy metals. So his, his program is to, to get rid of these viruses and these yeah. heavy metals and things. So after the celery juice, I usually have a big smoothie, but you know, mm -hmm. if I don't have any ripe bananas, <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do something different, but I always get the cup of wild blueberries in because wild blueberries are supposedly very understanding. It's interesting, Farah, when you were talking about the plants is he talks about like wild blueberries, unlike cultivated blueberries, which are also fine, but if you mm -hmm. cut a cultivated blueberry and look inside, that whole inner part is just clear. But with yeah. a little wild blueberry, it's blue all the way through. So mm -hmm. those antioxidants go all the way through. And that 
it's these blueberries grow close to the ground mm -hmm. and so they have to be really tough because of invaders mm -hmm. and that if there's a fire for example and they're burned away they'll grow back even stronger mm -hmm. and this kind of strength and and power almost like having a little fighting force mm -hmm. in your body mm -hmm. um, these wild blueberries bring so i'm doing a lot of that kind of stuff now and really getting very close to the produce and the farmer's market and growing sprouts, which I used to do back in the 80s, you know, and haven't done in years. So yeah, so those are a couple of things. You know, growing up in Dominica and being around my, my mom and my grandparents, just understanding that natural knowledge and understanding the healing powers of food. We, we, we've been taught to, to believe that if, if we feel something, if our body is telling us something, we should, we should put something in our mouth that shuts our body up and for, for whatever reason it is, but not really feeling whatever those sensations are. Those sensations are, are guidelines for us to take notice. And as we navigate through life, we continue shutting our bodies up. And then we wonder why the body eventually gets to a point where it shuts down. The shutdown is a disease. A disease is a disconnection in the body. But you had so many signs along the way telling you that something potentially is going wrong. You need to take note of it. Something's happening. And I think more and more people are becoming more conscious of their bodies, understanding how important water is. Hydration is key. A lot of diseases are due to dehydration. And so Victoria, he, he, it seems like he's speaking my language. You can ask Jackie. These are things that we, I really talk about in Gaia's Essence. And I let people understand it. Coming from a scientific background, that your bodies are your first environment and you have to be aware of what you put into your body, what foods you eat. Are you eating packaged or processed foods? Do you understand what's made and what's put into these foods? They're made to be preserved and, and they can't break down in your body. And so they're causing blockages. And so if you, if you don't eat these fresh whole foods, then understand you are really creating precursors to disease. Yes, Amen. and metabolism is such a key thing. One of the simplest methods, which is just really working with one herb at a time, they'll talk about seeking out, um, much like what you described, Victoria, with the wild blueberries, a plant that can adapt and survive in a certain environment may very likely enable you to do the same if you consume it. And that there are even elements in plants that as far as they can tell, don't seem to have any particular role for the plant itself, but that benefit humans when they consume the plant. So we have this beautiful synergy with them. And sometimes even they'll say, if you look around you at the plants that are growing um, in the area that you live and thriving and doing well, very often the plants that you need are right in your own environment. So it just brings you back to listening and intuiting more from your own body, from nature. It's such a, a beautiful dialogue that gets created because like you said, Farah, so much of what goes wrong with us is a disconnection mm -hmm. from ourselves, from nature, from one another. That's very true. That's very true. Well, well said, Jackie. You know, Victoria, I believe that we, we are definitely connected for a reason. I, I can see so many synergies between Gaia's Essence and Main Street Vegan. I'm, I'm very grateful to Jackie for, for connecting us. 
Oh, I am too. And that's a gift. You know, it's almost like the, the platonic matchmaker. She is. She really is. <laughs> well, thank you. It's been my pleasure to do that. And we're also celebrating an anniversary. Uh, Victoria, your Main Street Vegan Academy is celebrating its 10th anniversary. Congratulations. Oh, thank Congratulations. you. That's wonderful. And of course, the Academy trains and certifies vegan lifestyle coaches and educators, uh, which I'm proud to be among. And there are graduates in 32 countries on six continents now. So what was the journey like for you creating such an incredible platform? Oh, bless you. You know, I really think it was divinely inspired. The first thing that happened was I wanted to write the book Main Street Vegan, and it got a publisher, which was wonderful. And my first conversation with my editor, she said, we're happy to have you. We're happy you're writing this book, but we hate Main Street. <laughs> and so it's like, well, okay, they bought it. I have to find something else to call it. And I just couldn't. It's like this book is Main Street Vegan. That's what it is. It's the idea that a regular person, you know, wherever, can choose to live healthfully, live compassionately. It's got to be Main Street. So I was walking up Broadway here in New York City, and I saw somebody so famous, you could recognize him from the back. And that was Michael Moore, the filmmaker. And he had liked one of my earlier books uh, called Fit From Within, a weight loss book. And he'd written about it in Oprah's magazine. So I didn't want to, you know, go tap him on the shoulder and act like a fan or something. So I just gave my card to the woman who was with him because he was talking to other people. And I said, you know, I, I, I wrote a book that he liked, just tell him hello. And I went on up the street. And then I hear Victoria. And, and that's Michael Moore. And we exchanged ple pleasantries. And he wow. says, we need to talk. We need to talk about food. So he called me. And we started talking and, you know, talking about food and um, food issues. And one evening I mentioned this book that I'm writing is supposed to be called Main Street Vegan, but the publisher doesn't like that. And he said, they're wrong because everybody in America thinks they're Main Street. Let me talk to them. So we had this three-way call with an Academy Award winner and my editor and me. And when she called three days later to tell me that that was my title, it was like these ideas started to pop, kind of like mm. those, uh, you know, uh, little bubbles that people in comics talk through. And it was, there ought to be a Main Street Vegan podcast. There ought to be Main Street Vegan Academy, training and certifying vegan lifestyle coaches and educators. And I'm thinking, well, okay. so. I put it out there. Now, at this time, I had very little reputation in the vegan world. I had written some vegan books early in my career. I had written mm -hmm. for Vegetarian Times and some other publications. But since about 1998, I had been in the spirituality world. So I wrote a really successful book called Creating a Charmed Life. I was on Oprah with Shelter for the Spirit and Lit from Within. I'd done one called Younger by the Day. I was vegan, but I wasn't really in the vegan world. So I don't know how I thought anybody would really come to this academy, but lo and behold, they did. 
because there were some vegans on my mailing list. And then I was on a, a somebody else's podcast, the Our Hen House podcast. And somehow we got that first class together, 13 students. And since that one worked, I figured, well, okay, let's keep going. Well, we've now had 33 classes. And of course, with the pandemic, we went from being in person in New York City, which was wonderful with field trips and all that. But now we're on Zoom, which is even more wonderful, which I would never have guessed. But because we can open it up to people all over the world who are not able to get to New York City, we're also able to have more instructors, more class hours, more practice time. So it's just stunning. I mean, it really, truly is the most remarkable program. I am so proud of it. And we will have our, our next class, our starting our 11th year um, uh, in October. Uh, it's uh, seven weekend days, and that is recorded. So if you have to miss some, um, that's, that works. So the website is MainStreetVegan.net. And just uh, click on Academy and uh, see what you think. Wonderful. I'm wondering if you could also share a little bit about what sets apart the Main Street Vegan Academy from other courses on veganism and vegan nutrition. Uh, thank you so much, because that's such a hard question to answer when a prospective student is looking at different courses, because all the courses out there are wonderful. There is not one that I wouldn't support. And I think that, you know, a lot of people take a lot of courses and those who are able to do that, that's really good. But if somebody is really confined to one, what I can say that, that sets Main Street Vegan apart is we really are about the vegan lifestyle, the whole vegan umbrella. So that's nutrition and our um, medical doctors who teach and our registered dietitian are of the whole food plant-based school because that seems to be the, the most prominent uh, and, and the most science-backed and science-based. However, we also talk about Ayurveda and raw food and, and some of these other things because this is a big world and people find their way in, in different ways. So we cover the animal issues, we cover the environment, uh, the history of this movement, because a lot of people think, well, didn't it start in 1980 with PETA or didn't it start in 1990 with Dr. Dean Ornish showing that a low-fat plant-based diet could reverse heart disease? Those were all great milestones, but it started literally in the beginning, if you're a biblical person, it started in the ancient Vedic period, if you're a yogic person, and it started with the fact that we have these, these bodies that are basically frugivores. And so, so we, we explain that history, then we go on into communication and how to take all this wonderful information that you have and actually get it out to people in terms of, of public speaking, uh, speaking online, uh, coaching, counseling, techniques of coaching and counseling. And then we have business principles because even though our certification is for lifestyle coach and educator, we have so many people who have taken this information and gone on to start amazing businesses. So off the top of my head, we have uh, 
an ice cream company in Mexico City, a cheese shop in Brooklyn. I mean, people are doing all these amazing things. And I'm just so proud that the inspiration and information starts at Main Street Vegan Academy. And then they take that out into the world and do amazing things. Thank you. And that was absolutely my experience. It wasn't just about the food. It was about a whole community. It was about living in alignment. It's just very deeply gratifying. Oh, that's so lovely to hear. And I'm just very grateful for what's come of it. It's almost like it came through me instead of from Mm -hmm. me because I spent my life as an author and speaker. So I'm in that art world. (laughs) And (laughs) I never thought I would have a business. I I, it just it's just not anything that I thought was in the cards for me. And it's just been the most wonderful thing because I, I feel that that I have a connection and and really a legacy to the the sane, kind, healthy, compassionate future of of this planet through all of these wonderful graduates, you know, such as yourself and and so many others. We just had the most wonderful guy come to the the last Zoom class and his name is, is Kenneth and he lives in a small town in Kenya. So before the pandemic, we had talked about maybe doing some kind of GoFundMe so that he could come over and take the course. And then, you know, that course ended. And I said, well, Kenneth, you could do the the Zoom class. And he said, there is no Wi-Fi in my town. Mm -hmm. So we arranged for him to be able to go to a bigger city on the weekends and do the course in a place that had Wi-Fi. And he stayed up until like three in the morning because it's, you know, big times difference and was there for every single class. And he already had a vegan support group in in his town, but now it's really big. He's a a farmer and, and a pastor. And so now in his spare time as a vegan lifestyle coach and educator, he's moved their group into this like bigger space. And he actually goes door to door sharing veganism wow. with people. But where he lives, a lot of people are, are very strictly religious and veganism to them seems like something outside and something that they shouldn't trust. And people say to him, well, we think it's of the devil. And he <laughs> has to explain to them that it's not. <laughs> and it's just so fascinating to me that this course that you know, comes from the U.S. and most of our instructors are in the U.S., has reached people in 32 countries and they're able to apply these teachings wherever they are. It's just, it's just thrilling to me. It's like it has a life of its own and and it's a force for good in the world. Victoria, this is, this is absolutely amazing that Main Street Vegan Academy has become such a powerful institution and I know there was so much that happened during the pandemic that was very traumatic for so many families and, and, and so many companies having to pivot their companies themselves. But I can see that you really evolved the academy and now to have a global platform reaching people in all corners of the world, your, your institution is definitely going to be one that's changing the world and continue to change the world. So 
thank you for allowing the mainstream vegan to come through you, like you mentioned, and um, and to share just this knowledge and information about how people can really change their lifestyle and what that does to their overall health. Thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome. I, I wanted I wanted to touch a little bit more on the compassion consortium that you started with your husband and really advocating for the spirituality in, in all beings, in all living things, especially animals. Can you share with us, you know, why why do you feel so passionate about caring for animals and educating other people about animals? Well, we share this world with all other life forms. And I know people have very different beliefs about how how this earth came about, how the universe came about, what, what it all means. And yet, I think that the fact that so many of us in the Western world have lost our sense of awe about those with whom we share this planet. It's very sad. And for me, some of the most spiritual experiences of my life are when I look into somebody's eyes and I see the divine. I had it happen the other day on the subway. Now, New York City is uh, not as safe as it was when uh, you came into the city for Main Street Vegan Academy, Jacqueline. And so, yes. you know, we get into the subway these days with a lot of concern about, you know, could that person not be up to good or whatever? And mm -hmm. there, there was somebody there that I was a little bit uncertain of, but he started talking to me. I have my dog with me and he said, you know, people really should understand how smart dogs are because if they did, they would never treat them the way they do. And, and I felt kind of ashamed of myself that this person I was a little bit wary of turned out to be so lovely. And as he got off the train, I just glanced at him and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, you've just seen the divine. You've just had an mm -hmm. interaction with the divine. And that came about because there was a dog there because these non-human animals, they're just, I believe, close to that divine source. There is a wonderful spiritual teacher. He was actually a Catholic priest and a paleontologist named Teilhard de Chardin. And he talked about how as, as evolution happens, these other life forms are closer to the source and, and then we get to be humans and we're, we're very highly evolved and yet we're as far away from God as mm -hmm. you can get. So we have to work our way back. And so those who are still closer maybe have something to teach us. And all that aside, they can feel their lives are important to them. There's a wonderful teacher in the Jain tradition of India, Mahavira, and, and he said what is probably my favorite quotation of all time, that is, to every creature, their own life is very dear. And the other night, um, there was a bug and we took it out. It's a lot of work to take a bug outside in our building because we live down at the end of a long hall and then we have to get in an elevator and go down to the second floor where the courtyard is and push a button and get out <laughs> and carry the bug in the 
in the jar with the piece of cardboard on top. But when I let this bug out and, and he got his bearings and he started to run off, it was like, to a lot of people, that is just an annoying creature that has no purpose. And I'm just going to end their life right now because it really doesn't matter. But to mm -hmm. that creature, it matters. Mm -hmm. That is life to that being. And I think if we could just get that wonder at, at the beingness of all, the mm -hmm. idea of supporting um, animal use for food, clothing, entertainment, experimentation, we would just get away from that so quickly. And so at the Compassion Consortium, we try to do two things. One is to provide a spiritual home or a spiritual second home for people who either just can't be part of their traditional faith anymore. The website is compassionconsortium.org. Because we're so separated from our natural environment. And that's why I believe we have that disconnection between us, animals, and plants. And when we start understanding that we are one, and when we start acting that way, we start respecting each other, and then that would reflect on the animals and plants. So true. And so many people say, well, why are you, you know, working to help animals when people are so much in need? Well, of course they are. And we need to be focusing on where our heart leads us. And I believe if everybody's focus, they, they followed their heart, like, mm -hmm. oh, I really wish I was doing something about human trafficking, or I wish I was doing something about literacy or whatever it is. Well, if you do that and everybody else does where their heart leads them, then you'll understand that for those of us whose hearts are more with the animals, mm -hmm. it's all going to be taken care of. And the other thing, too, about when you talk about nature and, and animals is sometimes we think, well, you know, we have to be able to embrace all humans first, but maybe, maybe I get angry with somebody because they voted for somebody I didn't approve of or, you know, whatever it is, because we've got so much of that going on in the world. So maybe instead of trying to directly work on that, you skip over that and you move on to the animals and nature. And that so softens your soul that then you can come back to the person who voted for somebody you didn't like. Mm -hmm. And you're able to talk to that person and you're able to see that even though there's disagreement, there's that same, like you said, Sarah, Farrah, that same life, that same mm -hmm. spark of divinity. Oh, yeah. I just uh, wish, I wish, wish the whole U.S. Congress could listen to this conversation. But it's such with us, I'll tell you, because people, people like us understand that understand the real world and, and understand the fabricated world and we can exist in both and our responsibility is to take this knowledge and to share it and you have done that very well you have done it superbly through main street vegan academy you're now connected in 32 countries on six continents what a blessing and we do the same thing at Gaia's essence and Jackie is continuing to do the same thing on her platforms, through her books. And so it's up to us, to everyone we connect with, 
to let them see the light in us and see the difference. Hallelujah. Victoria, I know next month is a big month for you. You have over 475 weekly episodes. Congratulations, because I know that running a podcast and running it for over a decade takes discipline, dedication, and passion. What can we expect from your new podcast? Oh, thank you. Well, the Victoria Moran podcast, which is the new one, is the same RSS feed as the Main Street Vegan podcast. So anybody who's interested in those 475 uh, episodes can check (laughs) that out. We've had so many amazing guests on Main Street Vegan. We've had people from the world of entertainment, of Moby, uh, Ivana Lynch, uh, Mary Lou Henner, Russell Simmons. When the uh, Unity Online Radio that had been behind that uh, podcast decided to to close. They were a hybrid online radio slash podcast uh, portal and podcasts have just taken over. So, you know, the, the hybrid yeah. thing just wasn't going to be working for them anymore. So I'm now going to be with mindbodyspirit.fm and anybody who uh, subscribed to Main Street Vegan will get the Victoria Moran podcast. So it'll be on, on Spotify and Stitcher and Apple Podcasts and and all the others. And what I wanted to do was not just hit people in the face with the vegan thing. Mm -hmm. To have this podcast that's going to be really everything that I'm interested in. And so we have this, this lovely kind of tagline for the new show, which is Vitality, Spirituality, Compassion. And that just allows for so much and so many fascinating people to talk about how can you really live well on earth in this body all your life? Mm. And then how can you have this sense of the big picture and still live in this transactional world? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then how can we do this with the highest level of compassion for ourselves, for those in our immediate circle, for other humans, for other beings, for the planet. And I just think it's going to come together in a real dazzler of a podcast. I am so excited and uh, just hope to have, you know, amazing people as guests uh, like uh, the two of you. Oh, thank you, Victoria. Thank you for continuing the great work that you're doing, that you've done for so many years. We expect nothing but excellence from the new podcast. I can't wait to subscribe and start listening to the 475 episodes. And um, absolutely, we would, we would love to, to come on and, and share, you know, on your podcast. And that's what, that's really what it's about. It's about finding a place where you can share with others, where you can come from your true authentic self, not trying to be something that you're not. And when you resonate in 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 your light then you can be the light to others terrific thank you anyone who comes on the beast mama's podcast knows that i will ask them this question and the question is when did you feel you became a beast mama (laughs) you thrived and showed up for victoria in a way that you didn't think even was possible okay i was 14 and the Beatles had just happened um, about uh, you know some some months earlier, and I got a press card for a dollar, so that I could 
try to meet them and write about them and other rock groups. So the Beatles were coming to Kansas City and I had done my homework. I had gone to the editor of the magazine. We had approached the Beatles press people. I had my official invitation. I went to school that day because I was a good kid. And when I got to that hotel in the afternoon, I could get through the door, but the doorman had been given instructions, no teenagers on the elevator. So I had my press card, I had my official letter, but I was not going anywhere. So I just tried to keep my wits about me. And then in through the door, came a man that I recognized. His name was Charlie Finley. He was the owner at that time of the Kansas City Athletics baseball team. And he had put up the money at the last minute to bring the Beatles to Kansas City. And as part of a, a Beatles fan club contingent, I had met him two weeks earlier. We'd given him a plaque to thank him for bringing the band to KC. And he was coming in for the press conference with a Playboy bunny on his arm. Mm -hmm. And I went up to him with my press card and my letter. And I said, Mr. Finley, I write for Teen Life magazine. I am supposed to be at that press conference. And he looked me up and down. And <laughs> I was not an attractive kid. I was overweight. I had bad skin. I could never get my hair to work right. And I was trying to dress in the style of the moment. And I think I looked pretty dowdy. But after he did his kind of, of look over, he said, okay, just don't say anything. So Playboy Bunny on one arm, me on the other arm, up we go to the penthouse suite <laughs> where the press conference is happening. Went to that event. The following summer, I went to another one in Toronto. The following summer, I was supposed to go in Chicago, but uh, John Lennon had made a controversial comment, so they canceled the press conference. I was there by myself, and standing in the hotel lobby, I recognized one of their managers. I got in the elevator with him. We became friends. We went to dinner that evening with my dad, the next uh, April, I was in London, and this gentleman uh, introduced me to Paul McCartney, wow. who said, hello, Vicky. And I thought that I could die at that moment. <laughs> so to keep this very long story short, it was when I was 14 years old, going up in that elevator, I knew two things. One is that you can't judge by appearances because even though I didn't look like one of the cool kids, I was doing mm -hmm. the coolest thing <laughs> of mm -hmm. any kid, mm -hmm. probably in America at that moment. The other thing was that writing was going to be my ticket, that writing would take me places mm -hmm. that nothing else would, which is why I became a writer. And I just want to give a, just a little follow-up a little addendum there. Years later, it was probably um, eh, 2010, something like that. So many years after I was 14, I was flipping through the big channels one day on TV, and I think it was ESPN. They were doing a, a documentary about the life of Charlie Finley, 
this man who had owned the Kansas City team, and then it became the Oakland team. And he was a controversial character. Some people liked him. A lot of people didn't. But they were interviewing one of the former baseball players, and he said, Mr. Finley could look you up and down and see your soul. If he liked what he saw, he would go to bat for you. Hmm. And I was sitting there watching this TV in my 50s or 60s and knowing that that was exactly what happened when I was 14 and he looked me up and down mm -hmm. and decided he was going to take a chance on this mm -hmm. dowdy kid. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that that's the root, that's the seed of the life that I have had all these years and continue to have today. So do that for other people. If you can see some light in them, nurture that light, do what you can for yourself and the next person. Wow. Thank you for sharing your, your beast mama moments. And, and, that's, and that's what it is in life. We, we don't know how you're going to change someone else's life. It might be by them spending a minute or two with you and you saying something that that person needs to hear at that particular time. And just by you saying it, you change their life. Victoria, who was the little girl in Kansas growing up who's become this dynamic, powerful woman that I'm meeting today? <laughs> I think I was always someone very interested in the great beyond. I had my first spiritual experience in my stroller. It was before I turned three, my nanny had me out at night. I don't know why I was out late at night. Probably my parents were having an argument. And I, I looked up at the stars and thought, well, that's home. And you're here now, and that's fine. Nothing wrong with it, but yeah. it is not home. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I, I was just always that kind of kid, you know, a, a kid kind of with stars in her eyes. And, mm. you know, I, I was always overweight. Um, I was just odd. You know, I, I, I didn't fit in. But I think sometimes that's a great gift in a mm -hmm. life. Because then you learn how to find yourself or pieces of yourself, at least. And mm. one thing that's interesting to me is the whole idea of memory and who we are in the various stages of our life. Because, you know, we look at somebody and we say, well, that's an old man, or that's a pregnant woman, or that's uh, someone who was recently disabled. But that person is the person that they've been their whole life. Mm -hmm. and, and it's very important to remember, certainly about ourselves, that regardless of how we appear to the outside world, we are this amazing expression of the divine having a human experience and we may as well dazzle with it. Mm, beautiful. Can you share with us a story from someone in your young life who's really shaped who you become later on in life? Yes, I'd be happy to. When I was a little girl, both my parents worked, which was unusual in 1950. And so mm -hmm. they didn't have anything like daycare. And 
they went through a series of nannies. Um, there was one, my mother tells the story, she just had this uneasy feeling and she tried to call and um, nobody answered. So she left work and drove to our house and this nanny had me all packed and in a car. She was going to steal me, take me somewhere. What? So, um, yeah, the, the whole kind of nanny situation had been difficult. And then someone suggested this woman. And the story goes that at six months of age, when she looked down in my little crib or wherever I was, I reached my arms up and said, Dee Dee, like I had known her before. Her name was Adeline. And hmm. so Dee Dee lived with us from the time I was six months old. And then when she was old, she lived with my husband and me. And um, I took care of her as best I could at the time. I, I wish mm -hmm. I had done better. But Dee Dee was a very spiritual person. She wasn't vegetarian, but she told me about vegetarians. Mm -hmm. And she had studied a Christian science and Rosicrucians. And she brought me up with a belief in reincarnation. Even though I was mm -hmm. being raised Catholic, I had all this <laughs> other influence as well. So, so Dee Dee was it. Dee Dee was my first spiritual teacher. And my favorite movie, this classic 1958 Rosalind Russell movie, Auntie May, mm -hmm. if you haven't seen it, rent it. It's just amazing. Your little boy would probably love it because it has a Absolutely. little boy in it. And Auntie Mame was this amazing composite character who celebrated life. She would say things like to, to her nephew, ah, oh, my little love. Your Auntie Mame is going to open doors for you, doors you never even dreamed existed, what mm -hmm. times we're going to have. So I think it's really important that we be somebody else's Auntie Mame, as mm. Dee was for me, and that when there's nobody else playing that part, we be our own Auntie Mame, and we give ourselves a charmed life. Oh, beautiful. Would Dee Dee be someone who inspires you and motivates you oh my goodness i have a lot of mentors i was just posting this morning a, a youtube show called bob and fran these folks interviewed me a few months ago and the show went up today they're in their 80s and they're so healthy they're really into the whole food plant-based thing and they're just so vital and vibrant so mm -hmm. i i just collect role models all the time <laughs> i i feel that everybody who is just trying to bring it up a notch just trying to live that higher light they're a role model for me and i want to be like them victoria can you share with our listeners any social media handles that would be really good for staying connected with you Oh, absolutely. So you can find Main Street Vegan on a lot of platforms. We've got Main Street Vegan on Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter. That's for the Academy, the blog, all things Main Street Vegan. And then for me, I am on Instagram at Victoria Moran Author. I'm Victoria Moran Author on LinkedIn, Victoria Moran Author on Facebook. And Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter. 
most active on that uh, at Victoria Moran on Instagram. You know, there's there's so much social media that it's hard to really be feeding all of them. But I do try to keep up with the Instagram. And then another uh, place where I'm really active is the Victoria Moran podcast listeners page on Facebook. And uh, there's a lot of interaction there, lots of uh, lively goings on. Thank you so much for spending this morning with us. You have shared so much wisdom. You have shed so much light. You continue to tell us how important it is to care for ourselves, the animals that we share this planet with, and each other. I am genuinely grateful to have met you today. And I, I look forward to, to working with you in whatever capacity in the near future. I look forward to that, too. I am, am so happy that we have connected. And thank you, Jacqueline, for making that connection. I just want to say thank you so much uh, to both of you. It's been a joy to spend time together this way. It's felt like nourishment for my heart and soul as well as my mind. So, uh, Victoria, I'm so grateful to you. You always bring the personal touch to everything that you do. So much graciousness. Oh. Same with you, Farah. Everything with Gaia's essence always has that personal touch where we really feel like we're part of a community because we genuinely are so thank you so much to both of you and i've so enjoyed being here today thank you jackie it's a pleasure working with you as always and you are truly a sister of mine thank you feeling is mutual well beautiful thank you again everyone for listening to the beast mamas podcast we look forward to joining you again next week and have a wonderful weekend